0: Hello everyone and welcome to Golden Walk Magazine. If you notice this is a bit different. Um first of all, we're late with the issue which I promised you we wouldn't be. Second of all, there is no music going on right now. Um this is because I originally recorded in an, in an issue of the magazine and I released the issue of the magazine and um then something was called to my attention about one of the authors that we published and um i didn't feel comfortable showcasing the work um from that author um so so i basically decided that i was going to pull down the issue and i was going to re-release it with the the that that author's work removed. Um, and so I just wanted to talk a little bit about that process and, and why I decided to do that. Um, and I, I don't want to go into too many specifics. I don't want to throw anyone's name under the bus. I don't want to do anything like that. Um, I just want to put out issues that years down the road or even tomorrow I can be proud of and and, and say, um that i'm i'm happy that i put this collection of people together and this collection of work together and and uh that's it so let's i'll just talk a little bit about it um there has been a certain controversy that has come up uh over over the course of the past few years about the types of of things that happen when it when um work is accepted um, and, and if that should be, if that should be judged on its own merit, regardless of the type of person who is, who is putting that stuff out, um, who, who wrote it. And it's a slippery slope, I think, to, to basically say the art is, is itself only. Um, there's, there's no real point um, in, in really delving into the personal life of the person and what they believe because the art should stand on its own. Um, and in, I guess in an idealized world without real people's feelings and and everything else, yes, that should be how it should be. Um, the art is the art and we should showcase the art and forget about the person. Um, but, I have seen this sort of thing happen several times where evidence has been presented um and and it just it it just uh the certain publishers have decided not to take steps um to to basically distance themselves from from those people. Now I want to make it very clear that the person that we were going to publish in this issue, uh, was, was not directly responsible for the horrible actions that I am, that I am referring to, but, uh, they are responsible for supporting the person who has done horrible actions. And I cannot, as, as the person who who puts together this this magazine i cannot really support that person um even though it's removed i guess i i just i i can't i can't connect it and and i don't know if this is the right step to take um i don't know if i'm going to get a lot of backlash for this uh or or whatever but i felt like this was the right thing to do i i looked at the situation from other editors and decided that if that specific situation was presented to me that I would make a different choice and um, this is me making the different choice so I do apologize um, for the delay with this issue I do apologize for not doing my homework and uh, accepting work from um, that i wasn't i wasn't necessarily prepared to to uh, present to you um and i i definitely apologize to the the other author of this issue that you are going to hear his work um and the delay that it's taken and the fact that his issue now has to have this intro from me um explaining the situation i do apologize for all that um but I felt like this was the only way to proceed with it and I uh, you know I just apologize. So here's what's going to happen. Um I'm just going to basically drop us back into the the spot of the issue that I recorded earlier um that that talks about the story that I am publishing um that I published after the other story i had to remove so it's you know this is basically the second story that was in the issue um so i have my little intro um discussion about the story myself and and then you'll hear the story so again i i do apologize i hope that you can still um still find value in this this author's work um and uh yeah here here we go let's just get into it So if you couldn't tell, that one was The Flash, and now we're going to go on to the much longer story, um, and that is Robert Martin's story, All Apologies. And I'm not going to say too much about the story itself, but I, I will talk a little bit about why we were we were so drawn to it. Um, and it was because, um, for me specifically, I I had a a a connection to this story uh in my high school experience. I had a friend that I've I've sort of lost touch with a little bit here as as is 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 to happen, it happens very often where you you lose connections to people that you were once very close with, but um this friend was was very uh much into the story of of Kurt Cobain and uh and Nirvana's music and so um, just being around being around that friend and and reading this story uh, just really uh, really brought back some memories for me specifically and it's a it's a wonderful piece of fiction um, that really explores uh, the impact that celebrity culture has on on life, and and maybe not celebrity culture itself, but at least icons, um, especially someone like Kurt Cobain, and what happens when they are taken from us, or or you know, in his case, what happens when he takes himself from us. So anyway, um, here we go. This is uh, Robert Martin's story. All apologies, and I hope you enjoy it.
1: Robert Martin, this is All Apologies. We came to school the day after and gazed at one another with the same dazed looks. Sixty percent of the student body wore the band's t-shirts, even the jocks, which furthered the confusion. If his music spoke to such a broad spectrum, it couldn't have been saying the very specific things we thought it was. But for that day, for those first few days, we huddled near our lockers and failed to vocalize the shock we couldn't fathom as teenagers that our issue wasn't with one troubled man ending his life, but with the fact that our magic had been marred. Music, his and that of other bands that sounded just like him, had saved all of us from our quotidian childhoods, but it didn't save him. This is what I was trying to convey to Micah, but all I could muster was, Dude. Dude, Micah said. He jutted his chin at something over my shoulder. Some girl with a shaved head was walking toward us, like directly at us. Everyone in the hall watched her with the same why-did-she-do-that expression on their faces. She walked with methodical slowness. Her eyes glossed with tears, directed downward. I didn't recognize her until she came to a stop in front of me. Leah, my girlfriend. A bell rang. A few of the students snickered as they dispersed. Micah vanished. Leah and I were alone by my locker. You shaved your head, I said. She stared at the buttons on my shirt. Her scalp looked like a swimming cap, pale and raw where her thick brown hair had been. I'm not staying at school today, she said. They should have closed the school entirely, A day of mourning. I nodded. Her eyes seemed huge and her blank skull swollen as though she hadn't slept the night before. I didn't know you liked Nirvana so much. She leaned into my plaid shirt and remained very still. I held the back of her head, a little clammy, a little sandpapery with fresh stubble. She muttered something into my shirt that I didn't catch and then looked up at me with her puffy dead eyes. She said it again. I don't want to be alone. She was the senior to my junior and she drove herself to school every day. I wasn't supposed to ride in the cars of people my parents hadn't met and I was on a tight leash with regard to cutting too many classes. Leah noticed me dragging my feet on the way to the senior lot and furrowed her eyebrows, now perfectly in the middle of her face. Do you want to come with me or not, she said, in a way that scared me, in a way I liked. She drove quickly away from our high school and made several deliberate turns like we were going somewhere in particular. I'd assumed the park to smoke cigarettes or the diner, somewhere we could be together and talk or not talk. Instead, she took the on-ramp, northbound, Downtown, then, I thought, to Ozone Records, where she could buy all the Nirvana stuff she didn't already own. When we crossed the big bridge and a sign read, Welcome to Washington, I gathered the courage to ask her where we were going. Seattle, she said, as though the word might crumble on her lips. The vigil is today. Leah's wipers smeared a semi-spray across the windshield, never actually clearing the water away, just reorganizing it moving it from one obfuscating patch to another. We sat in silence for 40 minutes before I dug into my backpack and found my Sunny Day real estate tape. They're playing next Friday, I told her. Mike and I are going if you want to come. I can't think about another band right now, she said, ejecting the tape before Seven even started playing. I pulled the tape the rest of the way out of the deck and carefully replaced it in its case, then tucked it back into the backpack at my feet. Then I pulled it out again and put it in her console. When you feel up to it, you should listen to it, I said. Their music, like, transcends emotion. It might make you feel better. She didn't respond. The Spinanes are on side B. You might like them, too. She gunned it in the fast lane, scooting around a semi. When we were clear of the spray and the engines roar, I heard her speak softly, as if to herself. He'll never play another show. And she started crying again, which made me nervous because the road conditions weren't great. Later on, we stopped for gas, Leah cut the engine, and we sat there, the fume of fuel seeping into the already pretty toxic air between us. I bet everybody's wondering where we are, I said. She didn't respond, but I'd stop expecting her to. We sat in the car for a couple of minutes before we remembered that we had to pump our own gas because we weren't in Oregon. Leah got out and stood with the pump in her hand, her hood pulled up and cinched around her face against the wind and rain. She almost looked normal again. I sat in the passenger seat in the warm interior and watched her through the windows, enthralled. I don't know how to open it, she shouted. She had to say it twice for me to hear her. I found the tab and the flap popped open by her rear fender. She unscrewed the cap and thrust the nozzle into the side of the car, then squeezed the trigger. Guess that's all there is to it, she said as she collapsed back in the driver's seat. And I saw half a smile perk on her lips before she forced it back down. The numbers cycled by, and the gas glugged into her tank, and we stared at the rain collecting on the windshield, turning the trees and the semis rushing past on the freeway less distinct. They were only suggestions of things that coexisted with us, no longer the actual things. We were more alone in the car, more significant in the world, than we had any right to be. I felt a pressure to say something, but had no idea the right thing to say. People are probably freaking out, I said for lack of a new topic. I don't care what anybody's thinking. I don't care if anybody's worried. This isn't about us. No, I know. I didn't. I just mean, you know, they probably are. She raised her eyebrows. Fine. The numbers continued to click behind us and Leah turned to look at them. Shit, she said. How much money do you have for gas? Money, I said. I I I didn't know we were going anywhere. I don't have any money. Shit, 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 she said, jumping out of the car and running around the back to stop the pump. It read 5.07. Look under the seats, she yelled. I did and found a few hairy pennies and a nickel, one quarter so grimy and black I didn't recognize it right away. Thirty-four cents, I said. Give it here. She cupped her hand through the open driver's side. Thanks, she said as I rattled the change into her palm. We made eye contact and held it, and it locked us there together for a quick second. Thanks, she said again. And she meant for coming, for being with her, for supporting her, for not letting her be alone. For trying, even if I had no idea how to help her. MTV had trucked in speakers, screens, projectors. Outsized slides of the band cycled through automated images of the front man on stage, Smashing guitars or yelping into a microphone, canned photos from press kits, stills from their famous concerts, MTV Unplugged the Video Music Awards. Interspersed with these were snapshots from the singer's youth. He looked consistently dazed, blindsided by his own defiance. The park was teeming with people who looked mostly just like me, shaggy hair flopping in their eyes, jeans too large, t-shirts of bands they adored. About one in five held up a candle, and the vast majority murmured along with the songs creeping through the speakers, mostly from that unplugged album. Leah belted them out. She was at ease among the grieving. Myself, I was beginning to wonder at my herd. I clung to Leah, staying close enough that it might look like I was protecting her. Leah took it all in, her eyes often closed and her head tilted upward as if the dead man's spirit was somewhere witnessing all of this. After a while, the widow came on to the PA and defended her decision to read her husband's suicide note to a televised audience because, quote, it's addressed to most of you. Something sounded rehearsed in her delivery, which didn't make it inauthentic, more like she'd read his note aloud multiple times, listened to herself read it, imagined us listening to her read it. How surreal it must have felt being forced to perform an authentic sadness. I did my best to send Leah subliminal messages that we should leave soon, before it got too late for us to get home undetected. I shifted a lot, cleared my throat. I felt something building up inside me, some kind of tension I didn't know how to dissipate. Leah shushed me when I pointed out t shirts that other people were wearing, so many bands I hadn't heard of, and gave me annoyed looks. She seemed to actually want to listen to the woman on a stage urging the rest of us not to take our own lives. She listed off resources and phone numbers and reminded people that despite the sadness they felt, there are things in life worth celebrating that even the greatest tragedies cannot weaken. I wondered why I couldn't just tell Leah I wanted to leave. I listened to the woman urge us to celebrate life for another couple of minutes, the tension continuing to build inside me until it overflowed and poured out of me, and I snarled at Leah, I'm not going to kill myself, Are you, what are we doing here? Jesus, she hissed. What the hell? What the hell is right, I said. We're here. We made it. We came. We paid our respects. We listened to the goddamn note. Now let's go home. It took me completely by surprise the ease and confidence with which I embodied this distorted version of myself. You're being disrespectful. To who, I said, raising my arms and spinning around to see the faces in the crowd around us trained on me. In the background, the woman was pleading again the same thing she'd said five times already. I spoke to everyone within earshot. Come on, you can't actually want to listen to this stuff, I said. This is pathetic. He didn't know any of us. He didn't write a song so we wouldn't feel alone. He wrote them because he felt alone. We failed him in life, and this is just failing him in death. Let's all go home. Leah looked like I'd slapped her face. You're pathetic, she said. A big dude in a Melvin shirt stepped toward me and said, You go home if you don't want to be here. I don't want to be here, I agreed. This is insulting, all of this. MTV's making money here just how they made money off of him. If we actually cared about the dude, we'd be boycotting this whole thing. Leah was crying. For a few seconds, I thought this was a good sign, that I'd made my case clearly and persuasively, and she was upset because she saw the wisdom of my point of view. The guy in the Melvin shirt said, Call it insulting again. Call my grief pathetic. The pleading in this intimidating man's eyes made him immediately, tangibly human. It was something I'd never witnessed before, the authentic moment of sadness. I felt terrible for him, terrible for everything he thought he felt. The tension was dissipated, but not yet fully relieved. I was left with an echoing absence, the angst still souring my tongue. I met the Melvin man's eyes and spoke with them to let him know... I was sorry for what I was about to say, but it was important to get it out there. It was the hook of the song I'd been singing all along. I know I'm an asshole for this, but I have to say it, Nirvana kinda sucked. The people around me shouted, boo, and I felt hands on my chest and shoulders pushing me aimlessly, not unlike a mosh pit. I tucked my arms and let myself be jostled, let my body go loose how I did in the pit. I felt saliva in my eye and my hair. Then I felt a fist on my sleeve, a quick grip that pulled me 20 feet away. Leah stood seething before me, her hand now off my sleeve and pointing me back in the direction we'd come from. You need to go now. I raised my hands over my head and watched her walk back to where she'd been standing. A couple people, Melvin's included, patted her on the shoulder in consolation. As I made my way in the opposite direction, I was relieved that people stepped out of the way to let me pass. My dad answered, and I plugged my ear. I'll accept the charges, he said. I drove to Seattle with Leah, I told him, for the vigil. Shit, son. I'll be home in time for dinner, I told him, though I didn't know if that was true. Maybe. I don't actually know how I'm getting home. Leah and I had a fight, or I kind of lost it, or I don't know. I feel weird. I feel like my legs belong to someone else. What did you take? He asked. Nothing, nothing. I just... I took a deep breath. The song All Apologies had begun playing over the loudspeakers, and this far away, all I could hear was the tinny melody echoing over itself. It had never sounded so hollow. I got in a fight with Leah. It was so weird. I just, like, lost control. I said mean things. Uh, I really wish you hadn't gone to Seattle. What do I do about my legs being numb? Go find Leah. Tell her you're sorry. Ask her to drive you home. If that doesn't work, come back and call me. My heart's beating really fast, too. It's like I'm out of breath, but I'm not tired or anything, and I'm sweaty... Breathe, Richie, relax, go find Leah. She's so mad. Tell her you're sorry. Okay, okay. I clung to the phone for balance. Talking to my dad was making it worse. The song went distorted behind me and I lost the melody altogether. I watched people's mouths as they sang along but could only hear a murmur of moaning. Am I going crazy? I asked. My dad actually laughed. No, you're not crazy. You're a teenager. It made me feel better. I'm sorry, I told him, and I truly was. I didn't know where she was taking me until it was too late, and she shaved her head, and I was worried. Explain yourself when you get home, he said. I don't think for a second that you're not grounded, and your mother and I will have to meet this Leah and explain our rule to her. She knows the rule, I said. You met her. I wouldn't have gotten into the car unless you'd met her. I never met Leah, Yes, you have, at the Mudhoney show you drove me to last month. I pointed her out, and I told you to remember her. That's not meeting her. That does not count. She has to come into her house. I have to look her in the eye. This is the first I'm hearing about it. Richie, my dad nearly shouted, you're stalling. Go apologize. Whatever you said to her, she'll forgive you, or even if she doesn't, she'll give you a ride home. I don't know. I told her Nirvana sucks. He paused. "'You love Nirvana,' I said. "'They're okay.' I found her waiting at the car, not inside, but leaned up against the passenger side door as if still mulling it over. "'I'm sorry,' I said before I had any bright ideas to try and explain myself. "'That was unforgivable. I'm sorry.' This seemed to satisfy her, at least partway." You're right, it was unforgivable, she said, but she pushed herself away from the door and walked around the car. I climbed in right away. I don't know what came over me, I said as she buckled herself in. That wasn't me. It was like something took over. The day, you know, the fact that he's gone, that they're done making music. I didn't sound convincing and wasn't convincing myself. I rambled only in the hopes of locating a justification. Leah looked unimpressed at best. There was traffic getting away from the park. Thanks for not making me take a bus, I said, and she raised her salient eyebrows in a way that showed she'd thought hard about it. I do like Nirvana. You know I do. Her eyes were dry, hollow things, watching the bumper of the car in front of her. Can we just pretend it didn't happen? I asked. She didn't sigh exactly, but she exhaled long and slow. I rolled down the window. My heart was racing, and a dark tint crept into my periphery until I blinked it away. My tongue felt swollen and tasted of burnt toast. The tremor in my knees I'd felt walking away from her, which I'd chalked up to adrenaline, hadn't gone away. It stayed with me through the phone call with my dad, and it stayed with us as we made our way to the interstate southbound. It had even crept into my arms, down into my fingers. I felt numb. Every time a truck passed us, I closed my eyes to the spray off the tires. I couldn't hear anything above the hissing squall of the wind and wet pavement, so Leah had to reach across and squeeze my arm to get my attention. I jumped, and when I looked at her, I was glad my face was already wet. Roll up the fucking window. What the hell are you doing? she shouted. I can't, I shouted back, and turned again to the open window. At that point in my life, I hadn't heard the term panic attack, nor had I heard the term bipolar, but I did know about split personalities, which comprised the walls of the dark room of my thoughts for the whole 180 miles down I-5. Though it was stronger than any of the times I'd felt this way before, it was not my first hint that something in my brain was misaligned. The biggest difference was that I could normally put on some music, crank it up, let someone more experienced and more talented than me put it into a form I could process. Sometimes this was nirvana even, usually not, but the single time I managed to roll up the window and ask if we could put something on, she just shook her head. So I rolled the window back down and let the spray pummel me. It felt like punishment, but also cleansing. I think Leah thought it looked more like punishment, which was why she didn't complain about how wet her upholstery was getting. For what, she asked when I thanked her, stepping out of the car at my parents' house. For inviting me, for driving me, for putting up with me. She said, look, this probably goes without saying, but just in case it doesn't, I think we should stop seeing each other. And we did. Within a week, her hair had grown out to where you could see the color. She looked less like a monk and more like a pixie, which turns out I liked a lot, which was just salt in the wound. The silent treatment drove me crazy. I would never wanted someone's attention more. It humbled me, my futile desire, but it also gave my days the delicious shape of longing. I could wallow like a pig in mud in what I didn't have. But on the next Friday, I was back in her car for the first time since the vigil. Betsy and Micah had developed a little parallel romance, and Betsy being Leah's best friend and Micah being mine thrust us together. Betsy was going off campus for lunch and invited Micah when I was right next to him, so by extension she invited me. It either did not occur to her at the time that Leah, who was driving, hated me at the moment, or else she knew full well and had already mapped out the ploy with Leah in advance. In the back seat I detected a slight waft of mildew masked by Lysol and cigarette smoke. Not a pleasant smell and I felt responsible. The moratorium on her stereo was over though or else she really did not want to talk to me. The four of us rode along listening to 94.7 KNRK to the Taco Bell drive through Micah and I watched the girls order and then eat seven-layer burritos and double-decker tacos and we self-consciously sifted through the sack lunches our mothers had prepared for us. We ate in the car, none of us looking at each other. Micah, oblivious to the tension, turned and asked me if my dad was going to drive us to the show that night. I nodded, mouthful of tuna fish, which somehow complimented the general mix of odors in the car. They have such a strange name. Happy Day Real Estate? What do they even sound like? Betsy asked. Sunny Day, I said. And they sound like four straight weeks of Rain. I had the same tape in my Walkman that I'd had on our ride to the vigil. I rarely went anywhere without it. and was about to hand it up when the unmistakable first few notes of all apologies needled through Leah's speakers. We stopped talking and listened to it in its entirety. When she'd finished crying, Leah drove us back to campus. We were late for fifth period, so Micah and Betsy headed to the commons. Leah sat in the car like she hoped to be left alone. I said, Do you want to talk about it? We headed for the bleachers overlooking the football field. A few students walked laps around the track. We both had the song in our heads, that cloying, single-string line like you would found the fingering while watching cartoons. I didn't say this, thankfully. I didn't say anything. Just tongued the tuna fish from my teeth and waited for her to speak, which she did, eventually. I'm still hurt by the things you said, she said. I'm so sorry, I told her, but she held up a hand. I know it was stressful for you too. I mean, I basically kidnapped you. I'd never thought about it like that before, but it was kind of true. I felt better about being such a dick." She said, I don't want to get back together or anything, but I don't want there to be any hard feelings between us, okay? Okay, I said. This was a disappointment to me. A relationship was a new world, a breakup was a challenge. Resolution just meant the song was over. I shrugged. You should come to the show tonight, even if you're not ready to fall in love with another band. I know you love Nirvana, but that's only because you love music. Maybe you could use a reminder about why you love music in general, not just theirs. I pulled my Walkman from my backpack. I'd stopped the tape at the end of In Circles after second period, so I knew it was cued to my favorite song on the album. Here, I said, just listen to it. Borrow it for the rest of the day, I added. If you come tonight... We don't have to go together. My dad's driving me. I won't even say hi if I see you. Just come for the music. She looked at my headphones, at the cassette player in my hand. You could say hi, she said, but she just stared at the Walkman. Across the field, the bell rang, letting Fifth Period out, five minutes until my last class of the day. I better go. My folks are really pissed about me missing so many classes. I offered her the Walkman one more time. She shook her head. I'm not going to the show tonight. You can still... I don't love music, Richie. I loved him. I looked at her, dumb, wondering who I felt more sorry for between us. I put the headphones over my ears and climbed down the bleachers, pressed in the little magic button that changed my world at will. A soft drum fill intro followed by a lonely bass line, creeping down a scale like a child sneaking down a staircase. I traversed the football fields as the whispery, pleading vocals sought their footing in the mix. The second guitar chimed in behind the first, sending the sun out from behind a cloud for only an instant, a quick coloring of the world that went dim almost immediately. A breeze rushed over my skin as I turned the corner to the steps that would lead to the hallway. I stood at the doors waiting for the tension of the pre-chorus to build to its climax, and then, as the song unleashed itself, I turned to look at Leah back across the football field. Driven by the force of the chorus, she walked the length of the bandstand and hesitated. Just as the bottom fell out of the song and the music separated into its own gravity, she disappeared over a railing and into the woods behind our school. The band locked in and the singer screamed a promise. I did my best to live by. Although you hit me hard, I come back. I trained my eyes on the last place I'd seen her, wondering if she'd reappear or if she was gone for good. Then the chorus resolved and I pushed my way through the doors. Okay, so you know, that's the end of the story. Um my name is Robert Martin. I I grew up in Portland, Oregon in the nineties and uh music was a huge part of my life. Uh, clearly. Um I was a an active member of the indie rock music scene there in the late nineties and early aughts. Um and yeah, music continues to be a major factor in my life Um, i currently make music with folks out here in minneapolis um, and i've always loved the intersection between music and literature and the the creative process in both cases you know crafting a song and crafting a story and accessing the emotional experience um, through different mediums this particular story all apologies Came together. I think the first incarnation of this story actually came out of a writing prompt from a creative writing class um, that was nonfiction about attending a Mudhoney show. I've grappled a few times with trying to express the sheer joy and reckless abandon of a mosh pit. Uh, The particular kind of mosh pit that existed in the 90s in the indie rock world uh, where it was never violent and it was never aggressive. It was just chaotic and amazingly uplifting and um, in many ways an out-of-body experience, a collective body experience. I wanted to kind of touch upon that in this story, in the the scene where Richie loses himself to a kind of defiance to the zeitgeist around him with regard to the iconography of of Nirvana and Kurt Cobain and kind of losing his own body. I think that's it for me. Um, Thanks for listening. Thank you to Golden Walkman for having me on.
0: So that wraps up another issue of Golden Walkman Magazine. I really hope that you enjoyed this issue. Um, we really enjoy curating the stuff that we publish and bringing it to you and presenting it to you in the author's own voice. I love the fact that we do that and I love the fact that I I I like including the analysis uh, sections afterwards because you get a a whole new dimension of it um, after you hear it so anyway um, that's that's me rambling about stuff because it's late It's very late at night and I tend to ramble so um, thank you to our contributors who give us what we need the meat in the sandwich of our issues. Uh, Thank you to the other editor, Joey Gould, for pushing me to do the best with this magazine. Um, Thank you to you, the listeners, who, um, you know, actually provide this some sort of canyon to echo in. Um, And I tend to get metaphorical when I'm tired, too, so... That's what's happening. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on with the magazine. Uh, the end of July is near. In the next couple of days, few days. Um, because I'm recording this early, I'm not sure if anything else has happened. Um, I'm not sure how many submissions we've gotten for our audio chat book contest. But as of right now, which is July 17th, uh, we have around 19 submissions so far and for those of you following along that means that it's grow it's uh, the pot is growing a little bit here um, for the for the winner so right now the the expected prize for the audio Chapbook contest is around hundred and 20, no, $140, something like that. So it's up on the website if you if you want to know um, exactly what it is. But if you have a chapbook, send it our way. Um, another thing is we need surrogate readers. Um, so go on our website and find out how to become a surrogate reader. This is someone who uh, records someone else's work, the, the work that we accept. So if you can do that, go to our website and find out how to do that. And... That's it for me. So have a good month.